Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 1,236 with Esther Perel. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Over the years, I have had the pleasure of sitting down with psychotherapist and New York Times bestselling author Esther Perel. She is recognized as one of today's most insightful voices on modern relationships. And today, I wanted to put together a collection of some of the most powerful moments over the years of having her on the show that have really transformed people's lives in their relationships. So this is a masterclass on that topic. In this episode, we discuss the biggest obstacles people face in their relationships and what most people get wrong when they are dating. Why even some of the happiest people sometimes cheat in relationships. How to build trust even when you've lost it with your partner. The expectations you should be setting in your relationships in the beginning and in the middle and so much more. And this is an inspiring topic for me because I have struggled in relationships in the past. I've done my own therapy. I've done a lot of work on myself. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to learn this information, put it into place, and create peace within a relationship now. And so I really hope that you find the value from this as much as I have found the value from implementing these strategies in my own life and in my relationships. So if you're inspired by this at any moment, make sure to spread this message, pay the message forward, share with a few friends, text them, post it on social media. Make sure to tag me and Esther Perel as well over on social media. I'm so excited about this episode. And if you find inspiration from this as well or helpful at any moment, make sure to spread this message with a few friends, text some people, post it on social media, and make sure to tag me, Lewis Howes, and Esther Perel as well when you're sharing on social media. And if you are new here, make sure to click the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify right now so you can stay up to date on the latest and greatest on the School of Greatness podcast. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Esther Perel. In this first section, Esther details the biggest obstacles people have to face in relationships. Let's dive in. What are the core uh, reasons or the core things you see over and over that either end or make a relationship challenging to be in? the longer you're in? What are the challenges that come up over and over that you see? So there's always three questions, right? What's a thriving relationship? A thriving one. Yeah. yeah. What can go wrong? Uh-huh. And how do you fix it? Okay. So you started with the middle question. <laughs> what goes <laughs> yeah, wrong? Yes. <laughs> I think there's a number of things in a relationship that become the, the, the kind of cornerstones of the demise, okay? And I'm not going to list them in order, but they sure. all are part of each other. Indifference and contempt and neglect and violence are probably the four most important. Okay. I'm not talking about big violence. Microaggressions are plenty. 
indifference, when you start to feel like the other person fundamentally is not really caring about you anymore, or you don't care about them, what they feel, what they think, who they are, what they're mm. about. They just a don't care. You've lost interest. Just, but it's more than losing of interest. Mm. It's also when you are indifferent, you degrade the other person. They're less important to you. They don't matter. Mm. And ultimately, what we feel in relationships is that we matter. That is the essential reason for connecting to people is that we are creatures of meaning. Right. I matter to you. I'm someone. You care about me. You want my, you want my well-being. You're proud of me. You, you want good for me. You're benevolent. All mm. of that. When you are indifferent, the whole thing goes. And then you start to, there's that coldness that creeps in, that sense of estrangement, that complete disconnect. That. The second one is neglect. Neglect, when people just basically take each other for granted. Mm. You know, I, they take more care of their car than of their partner. <laughs> or their dog. Or, or their dog, anybody, yeah, yeah. anything. Their yard, anything. Anything gets attendance. Their anything, business. Their yeah. business for sure. Their business for sure. You know, everything gets priority. Everything gets reviewed, evaluated, <laughs> attended to, 360s, you name it. You know, new input. You, you, my God, it's like people have this idea that they put it all in when they were dating. And then once they seal the knot, it's like as if they tie the knot. It's like now they don't have to do squat anymore. Mm. And they go into this kind of complete sense of complacency and laziness. It's an amazing thing. They think this thing is just going to live on its own. Right. Like a cactus. Right. Violence. Violence. The abuse. The level of, of disrespect. I mean, most people talk nicer to anybody else than their partner when a relationship Why is degrades. That? Because you can't get away with it. Because you can't get away with it. Because if you talk like this at work, you're gone. Mm. Because if you talk like this with the police, you're gone. Because if you talk like this on the street, you're being punched. But with your partner, you have that sense that they're going to be there anyway. They're just going to take it because it's family. And family is this kind of this thing that doesn't dissolve so easily. So you can just lash out at them and talk to them with a tone mm. and a dismissal that is phenomenal. So that kind of violence. <laughs> I'm not talking physical violence right. and all the other big, big things. You're talking about you know. aggression or resentment. or All of that. Yeah, yeah. All of that. You know. Passive aggressiveness, all those but, things, yeah. All of that. Yeah. And then contempt, I think, is the top one. Yeah. The contempt is the killer of them all. Because in, in the contempt, there is a real, there's the degradation of the other. It's, it's that, that complete, this, you're nothing. You're mm. nothing. I can kill you with that one gaze, that one eyebrow that goes up, that pfft. You mm. know, stuff. Uh, do you th who do you think you right. are? What are? And that's it. You you're done. You're done. So how do we even get to this place of these <laughs> these places? After having been so in love and <laughs> exactly. so romantic, right? <laughs> is, is desire uh, reflect that, or if we're not desiring the person anymore, then we start to feel one of those categories, or does that not play into uh, look? To the it at all? truth is this: there's only two relationships that resemble each other: the one you have with your parents or the people who raise you and the one you have with the people you fall in love with. Mm. People can sit in my office all the time and say, I have this with no one else. I don't have this with anybody at work. Nobody among my friends ever thinks like that. You're the only one who speaks like this or thinks this about me or with whom I do this. No, the only one, and now we go back in history. And I'm sorry to be the psychologist, mm. but that's really, right. it is the place where we often learned about closeness, trust, loyalty, commitment, sharing, 
taking, receiving, asking, all these essential verbs of relationships, we learned that at home. We also learned jealousy and all Possessiveness, other vengeance, yes. you name them. The beauty Anger. and the not beauty. Yeah, we <laughs> saw it all as children, right? We saw the fights, we saw the love, we saw the... You know, we saw the coldness. The we lack saw of the, intimacy, the, the intimacy, yes. yes. And we bring that with us and we often promise ourselves, I'll never be this one. I'll never be this way. I'll never talk like this. I'll, mm -hmm. you know, and we find ourselves often much Doing closer it, right? to the apple. <laughs> and then resenting ourselves. <laughs> to the tree. We resent ourselves. We're like, how did we do that? Well, why yes. did we get to this place? And then we feel ashamed about it. And since we don't like to feel ashamed about it, we hide it. And one of the ways we hide it is we blame the partner. Mm. That's just one of the ways. There's a load. We are very resourceful in not owning our shit. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Wow, okay. Um, and where does sex play in all this and desire? One of the fascinating things for me in, in looking at sexuality is that it's probably one of the dimensions of relationship that has changed the most in a very, very short amount of time. For most of history and in still the majority of the world, mm -hmm. sex is for procreation. Sex is a marital duty on the part of the woman. Nobody cares mm. particularly if she likes it and how she feels and if she wants it. And men have the privilege to go and find sex elsewhere. Wow. In a very short amount of time, we're talking 60 years, we have contraception, which is the liberation of women for the first time mm. to free sex from reproduction, from mortality, from death in pregnancy and in childbirth, sorry, all of that. And for the first time, sexuality moves from just biology and a condition to a part of our identity and a lifestyle. In 60 years. In 60 years. The women's movement, which goes after the abuses of power. The gay movement, which introduces the concept of identity to sexuality. The fact that sex is for connection and pleasure. The fact that for the first time we have sex before marriage. And many times, mm. a lot. We used to marry and have sex for the first time. Now we marry and we stop having sex with others. <laughs> Okay? Right, right. Monogamy used to be one person for life. Now monogamy is one person at a time. And people right. go around telling you, I'm monogamous in all my relationships. And it in makes perfect sense to them. <laughs> okay? Sure, sure. All of that in a very short amount of time. The fact that I choose you to marry or to live together, doesn't matter, commitment, because I'm attracted to you because you give me butterflies in my stomach. And the fact that I think that if I don't have these butterflies anymore, maybe I don't love you anymore. And the fact that sexuality in long-term relationships is rooted in one thing only, desire. I feel like it. I want to. Not I have to. Not we want many kids. After two kids, the only reason to continue doing it with you is because we feel like it. Right, it's fun. And hopefully it's pleasurable. It's yeah. pleasurable. We connect. It feels good. It rounds up the edges, the whole yeah. thing. That's it. And hopefully it's at the same time and for each other. Because plenty of desire continues, but it's not always at home. <laughs> right, exactly. So this is an amazing revolution. Sex that it's is confusing rooted, all of us. <laughs> and how do we sustain it? So yes. that's why I became fascinated in the nature of erotic desire and mm. how do we sustain desire because it is the first time ever that we have a grand experiment of the humankind where we mm. want sex with one person in the long haul that is fun and connected and intimate and playful and we live twice as long. Go figure. Right, exactly. For 60 years, you're going to be with them or whatever it is. Yeah. It's an amazing ideal. So how do we navigate this? If we're going to choose one partner and be with them until you know we're both gone, how do we navigate the challenge of keeping the desire? 
continuously. I think the both first, men and women, yes. because the, the woman probably sees other men who are attracted to her, and you know, vice versa. So it's like, how do both parties do this? Look, we know that women get bored with monogamy much sooner than men. Wow, is this a fact or is this that's a research? Okay, that's not just fact. That's a, that is, men's desire in long-term relationship goes down gradually. He actually is much more able to remain interested. And maybe just because he's interested in the experience itself and he has a partner there. Women's desire post-marriage. Really? Wow. And it's always been translated as, well, that's because women care less about sex. Rather than it's because women care less about the sex that they can have in their committed relationships, which is often not interesting enough for them. Mm. And it often has to do with the fact that the story, the character, the plot is not, in, it's not seductive. The romance, which is an essential ingredient of turn on for the woman, often disappears in the long-term relationship. Mm. It's like you, people look at each other at the end of the day and you want to fool around? You want to do it? You're up for it tonight? Now, this is really not very much of a turn on for no. most women. And the idea that foreplay often starts at the end of the previous orgasm you know, and not five minutes before the real thing, right. which for her is not the real thing. The whole the real thing is everything else. So it's essentially the it. game. Yes. Really, yes. It's, it's creating a game. It's seduction. It's yes. a plot. It's a coming close. It's a tease. Mystery. It's what animals call pacing. It's that I come to you, but I don't overwhelm you. I come just a little bit so that you can come a little bit toward me. And then I don't immediately answer. I actually go back a little bit too. Have you ever seen animals? They do this kind yeah. of pacing. And it is an essential playful ingredient of seduction and, and excitement. So women's mm. desire plummets. But we interpret it as women are less interested in sex rather than women are interested in probably just about the same kind of things that many men are. But women have always known what to choose above what turns them on, which was what gives them stability and security Safety, in security, their life. Safety, security, family, right. someone to protect, be there, right? So we want one partner today to give us everything that involves stability and security and everything that involves playfulness and mystery. Okay, that's the grand ideal. Okay, I want to be cozy with you and I want to have an edge and I want you to surprise me and I want you to be familiar and I want you to give me continuity and I want you to give me novelty. That's it. As if it's a, <laughs> right? And no Victoria's Secret is going to solve that. Yeah. Right? So then there becomes, how, what is desire? Desire is to own the wanting. If you ask people a question that goes like this, I turn myself off when? I turn myself off by? Not you turn me off when and what turns me off is. You're going to hear I turn myself off when I do emails, when I spend too much time on the phone, when I overeat, when I don't exercise, when I have bad, bad days at work, when I don't feel confident, when I numb myself, when I feel dead, mm. when I don't feel thriving, when I'm not alive. You will really hear that it has very little to do with sex. And when you ask people, I turn myself on when or by, I, I awaken my desires. Not you turn me on when and what turns me on is, which is i.e. you're responsible for my right. wanting. Right. What people will talk to you about is when I'm in nature, when I'm connected with my friends, when I get to do my sports, when I play music, when I listen to music. It's stuff that gives me pleasure that is alive, that is vibrant, that is vital, that mm. is erotic in the full sense of the word as life force. Right. And from that place, people remain interested in having sex with somebody else for the long haul. 
not because they've scratched their arms for two seconds. Right, you know? right, right. It's, I feel good about myself. Hmm. The biggest turn on is confidence. Right. Confidence. You ask people, when do you find yourself most drawn to your partner? The, every description has to do with when they're in their element, when they're on stage, when they're, with, when, when, when they're doing their sport, when they, when they are radiant, when they are in their studio, on the piano, on the horse, you name it. It's when they are in their element, i.e. they don't need me to take care of them. Mm. They're not depressed and down and needy. lonely and sad. They're not needy. They don't need me because desire is about wanting mm. you. Love is also about needing you. Caretaking is a very powerful experience in love and it is a very powerful anti-aphrodisiac. So how do you experience love and desire at the same time? You calibrate it. Mm. So sometimes it's, you're... It's the same as when you walk. Mm. You have to move from one foot to the other. A balance is not about staying on one side. A balance is the ability to see. Right now, we don't need caretaking. We can be mischievous. We can be naughty. We can be playful. We can right. break our own rules. We can stay home and not go to work at 8 o'clock. Right. And now we are in a playful zone. Now we are feeling that we are bringing our own little transgressions home. Mm. We are alive. We're not just being dutiful, responsible, <laughs> right. good citizens. Right. <laughs> it's that. It's very yeah. small. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I always think when I go and I see people at lunch and you see them talking and they're well-dressed and they're awake and all, I think, who is here with their partner? Hmm. Because you can see them. They're engaged. They're giving the best of themselves. That's erotic. No, the majority are not there with their partner. They're there with their friends, with their colleagues. Their partner right. is going to get the leftover when they come home at night. Right. Sorry, you know what? Forget the night date. Meet at lunch when you actually have energy. Mm. You know? When you, and, and in the middle of the day like that, when you're awake, when you have something to offer. It's a very small thing, but they don't do it. They don't do it. And you say, why not? Why not? Why don't you stay an hour extra at home in the morning and not just because when you have a headache mm. and just say, this matters to me. All in all, you know, committed sex is premeditated sex. It's not just going to happen because right. whatever is going to just happen already has. So you're going to make it happen because you say we matter. We're important. Let's do this. It doesn't mean if you're going to make love or have sex. It just means right. we're going to take this hour and there's nothing else that matters in this moment. But just you and I to be together, to check in. And then we'll see what unfolds. That's the erotic space in mm. which sex may happen. Probably will, doesn't have to, but it is the place from which it is much more likely to emerge. But people don't do that. They do the responsibility, that's the love, right? The mm -hmm. citizen, mm -hmm. the commitment, the caretaking, the thing. burdens, yeah. the safe. And then they say, I'm bored. I would be too. Oh, exactly. There's no mystery. There's no risk taking, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's no risk taking. That's the word. Mm -hmm. If you want desire, it's risk. And the risk is an emotional risk. It's not about sexy risks. It's really a, a risk on the emotional front is that I bring something else to you to yeah. differently from the way I typically present mm. myself. Sure. You know, what can I do today that will be different from the ways that I've done it until now? How can I do something mm. that I think would actually improve our relationship? Mm. Me. Right? Not something that I want or that you want, but that I think would be actually good for us, that third entity, the us. Mm. Right? And you check. Every time, you know, how often do you just go on the tried and trodden, as in, you know, it works. Sex that just works, mm. for most people, is really not interesting enough. Right. Because so what, what does it mean it works, generally? 
Right. What about the people listening who are saying, man, that sounds like a lot of work, that every day you have to change, do something different and unique and be... Not every day, but what you can do every day is just a quick check with yourself. You know, is there something that I should notice? Is there something that I can be thankful for? Is there a little note that I could write? Mm. Is there... You know, sure. just a way that I can show up. A it's small. It's really small. Um, here's the thing. There is work and then there is the creative work. Mm. You know, I'm talking about a level that is creative and that elevates you and that right. actually gives you, you feel, you feel taller. Mm -hmm. You just feel like you're engaged. You feel awake rather than... <sighs> This. Right. This is the other seated position. <laughs> it's comfortable, it's great, but nothing happens here. Sure. Here's the essential word is curiosity. When you're curious, you lean forward and you watch, you, you're open to the mysteries of life. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This is please don't bother me with anything mm -hmm. because I don't want any stimulation. I've had my share, I've been, you know. And this is the position that most people have at home. Mm. So when people say it's too much work, I basically say, look, if I was to say this in your business, would you say this is too much work? Right. Or you would say, that's very good advice. This is high rate consulting fees. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's like, excuse me, but you don't think for a minute that your business would thrive if you let it languish like that. Mm -hmm. Never. 
you have a reward system, you have incentives, bonuses, you have yeah, bonuses, yeah. but there is no incentivized system as in the in the private domain. So people just think, why bother? Right. And that's the difference is that the ones who have good relationships are the ones who created their own internal incentivized mm. system. What are some of those incentive systems that you've seen over time that really work or are effective for long-term relationships? I would say the first thing is almost one of the first things that our parents teach you, please and thank you. Mm. Do you know how many people stop thanking mm. their partners? Thank you. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank you for picking up the shirts. Thank you for, you know. Making you feel appreciated. Yes, appreciation. Mm. Appreciation is huge. Yeah. Uh, gratitude. Acknowledgement of the presence of the other in your life. Not, did you do this? Did you call? Did you pick up? Do this? Expectations. Expectations. Yeah. Of course, you know, expectations is often a resentment in the make. Thank person, first of all. Mm. And because it also makes it feel like, this is not a given. Nobody owes you squat. You're not owed anything. You're not that important. You're actually quite replaceable. Right. And with the divorce rate that we have... Um, What's the rate at right now? About you know? 50 on first and 65 on second. 65 on second. Wow. It's not good. Right. It's really, you know, it costs a lot of money. It's not good for the health. You know, it's not good for the jobs. Okay, now you could say maybe people should marry, but it doesn't matter if it's marriage legally or... The idea is that they, we can do better. We can do better in general. I really think that the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our relationships. I mean, nobody's going to write, you work 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. And, you know, no, they're going to say he was there for people when they needed to. He was there at every game. He was there at the party. He's the guy who, when you were in his presence... He had charisma, not because he could stand in front of a huge crowd, but he had charisma mm. because when I was in his presence, he made me feel special. Mm -hmm. It's a different charisma. So yeah. appreciation, gratitude, thank you. Little things to go out of your way rather than just to do the minimum. A yeah. lot of people start to do the bare minimum just so that they can't be scolded. Right. Go an extra thing. On occasion, just do something for the other person just because it matters to them, even if you couldn't care less. Right. Rather than, I, do, I don't, it, it's not important to me. I don't, I don't need this or I don't care about this. Give each other a lot of individual space. Not everything needs to be shared. Mm -hmm. People have different passions, different interests, different friends. And they need those separate spaces to exist. Admiration, I think, is huge. Because right. admiration is also that you kind of really see the otherness of the other person. Don't try to make your partner into one person for everything. Mm. There is no such a person. Find multiple sources of connection, of intimacy, of friendship, so that you can have a group of people support you and don't have one person who has to be there for you for everything, especially when you're in the dumpster. Mm -hmm. We, like we used to have a village of people to do that, as a, and now we just expect one person to be the village, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. One person for the whole village. And then we're upset when they don't fulfill the mandate. And that's the more important, like, I can't talk to you. You're not supportive of me. <laughs> You're not excited for me. Not, excuse me, find other people. Right. For, you know. I can't be everything for you. Yeah. No. In this next section, Esther shares what most people misunderstand and what they get wrong about relationships. You know, relationships seem to be some of the hardest things for people to figure out. I have my friend, Matthew Hussey, who helps women find men. And every girl... This seems to be that I know is always like, Lewis, can you help me find a good man? It seems like women are just trying to find the right partner, find great relationship partners. 
And then when you're in a relationship, it seems to be like people are always struggling in relationships, whether it be intimate or work-related relationships, business partnerships. Why are relationships seemingly so hard for so many people when it's the thing we need the most to feel alive, to feel happy, and to feel connected? <laughs> this is the million-dollar question, you know. I'm a relationship <laughs> therapist for 35-plus years. I work with people in their romantic relationships, family relationships, friendships, co-founder, colleagues, co-workers. So love and work, the yes. two pillars of our life, as Freud said. And um, if I could just say, why is the simple feeling of loving or caring not enough? Mm. Um, because the entire human drama is really complex. The same way as nature is complex, mm -hmm. so is human nature complex. And uh, I've spent my whole career studying what is changing in relationships. Are they more complicated today? Are they more painful today? You know, are, are, have our expectations changed? Mm -hmm. And that I have answers to. I don't have answers to why is it so, right. why, you know, but I do know. Is it know. more complicated now, relationships than yes. 50 or 100 yes. years ago? Yes, yes, absolutely. Why is that? Why? For a very simple reason. For a long time, we live, and we still in many parts of the world, live in traditional societies where relationships are clearly codified. There are clear rules, there are obligations, there's a tight structure from which you can't get out, but it tells you clearly who you are, where you belong, where you're rooted, and what's expected of you. And you don't have too much questions about whose career matters more, and who's going to wake up to feed the baby, and who has a right to demand for sex. And, what, and everybody, every husband knows exactly what they can ask from their wife, and the wife knows exactly what she should not tell her husband, and children know their place, and adults can all interact. All of this was super regulated. Mm -hmm. You know exactly that on Sunday you go to visit your family and that you have to call your grandma and that and nobody had and, and you yeah. go to church or you go to any other religious institution where you go to pray, to be with the community, etc. And you know what? Nobody needed to explain to you why it's important. You just went mm. because I said so. <laughs> and because that's what you do. That's what we do. And that's what we don't do because what will the neighbors say? And there is a community that looks over you all the time and the streets are narrow like that and everybody knows what's going on in the neighbor's house. Right now, your best friends could be breaking up and you didn't even see it coming. Mm. Nobody knows what goes on in the neighbor's house. That's where Where Should We Begin became, I think, so powerful. Wow. It gave you back a sense of what actually goes on in other people's lives. So that you're not alone wondering, am I the only one who's going through all of this? This tight structure of our society has moved into what we call today network societies. Network societies is not tight knots, it's loose ends. Mm. It's loose threads with commitment that can be revoked at any moment. That's why your women are constantly writing to you. I thought we had something and the next day he disappears. I thought we had developed a sense of trust. You know, where is the care? Where is the loyalty? Where is the continuity? All these things that now are not just set, fixed, they all have to be negotiated. Everything that was a rule is now a negotiation, mm. a conversation. Who's going to go wow. to work? Are we going to move you to the West Coast or are you going to move with me to the East Coast? Are we going to have children? Are we ready to have children? How many children? Do we even want children? You know, on and on and on. So Am I happy at work? Oh, I could do better. Should I stay a few more months? 
Should I leave? Should I, you know, is this what I really want to do? Is this who I really am? Yeah. Is this my passion, this identity quest the whole time? Is this who I want to be? And all of these questions are rather new questions. Why? Because in the past or in other parts of the world today, you kind of know who you are. Mm. Seriously. Mm. You're the son of somebody. It starts with that, Ben. You know, and you probably will even do what your father has done. Mm -hmm. If you are a man and maybe not do much of any of the outside the house, if you are a woman or you may begin a charting course of working outside the house. And all of these things are very, very normative. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's different. We don't have any of that at this moment. Yeah. We are basically, I call it the identity economy. We spend our time trying to figure out who am I? We have an enormous industry of self help with this belief that we are self-made, that we can have selfies, that we do self-care. It's this self, self, self that is so focused, such the center of everything and so fragile. The freaking self has never been more fragile. <laughs> we are constantly making sure that it, that it doesn't get overwhelmed, that it doesn't get triggered, that it doesn't get violated, that it doesn't get shattered because it stands there alone, mm -hmm. like the little Dutchman with his finger trying to hold back the dike. Mm. You know, and that is the times I think we are in at this moment. And there, that's the waters I think you swim in. <laughs> sure. Well, I think that's where suffering, uh, inner suffering comes from on the surface is when you obsessively think about yourself. Trying to improve yourself mm -hmm. and feeling not good enough. Right. I think it's the combination, yourself. comparing. Now, I don't know that people didn't compare themselves when they all went to, and stood on the steps of the church on a Sunday morning. Sure. I think communities, people have always, compare themselves, but there was much, there was a different type of social control, mm -hmm. the one that we have on social media today. Right. Social control has always existed, yeah. you know. So suffering is part of life. Community and not being alone is what helps us with all our experiences, mm -hmm. definitely with suffering. I look at the disappointments of relationships and the struggles that we have. Why are they so challenging? What is the challenge? What can you do about it? When is it you who can do something? And when do you have to realize the limitations that what you will do will not change another mm -hmm. necessarily, mm -hmm. when it does and when it doesn't? And how does this manifest at work and at home? Yeah, yeah. You asked me how relationships have changed. I think we've never had more expectations of love and work than we do today. I think we expect today from love and work many things that we expected before from religion, and from community. We want our relationships to be transformative, mm -hmm. transcendent, spiritual, meaningful, yeah. spiritual, Sexual. purposeful, erotic, passionate, and we want it at home and we want it at work. Mm. We How want, do we get it at work too? Oh, because we, we want work to be purposeful today. Uh -huh. We want work to, you know, to give me a sense of identity, of meaning, of self-fulfillment, of development. I don't mm -hmm. just want to go to work only for the paycheck. I need the paycheck, but I also want the paycheck to be meaningful to me. Work has become an identity economy. It's not just what am I going to do, it's who am I going to be. And it parallels, it parallels, you know, what do we talk about at work? Transparency, belonging, authenticity, mm -hmm. trust, psychological safety. I mean, when did the entire emotional vocabulary <clears throat> enter the workplace to such a degree <laughs> that soft skills, what they used to be called, uh -huh. 
which are emotional and social skills, yeah. relational skills, which is used to be seen as feminine skills. Mm -hmm. And feminine skills, you, don't, you can idealize them in principle, but disregard them in reality. And these soft skills have very quickly become the new hard mm -hmm. skills. True. And that's why I'm working in the workplace. Yeah. It's not because I have changed and I suddenly am interested in work. It's because work has changed and is suddenly interested in what I have been doing for decades. <laughs> In this next section, it might be a sensitive topic for some of you because Esther reveals why someone might cheat on their partner even when they seem happy in the relationship. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from researching and doing this work on this topic over the last few years? Biggest thing you've learned about yourself or about humanity in general? Yeah, there are two things I think that, uh, that stand out. Actually, three things probably that stand out. One, I too, for a long time, thought Affairs only happen in troubled relationships. If you have everything you want, there should be no Why reason go to go looking elsewhere. But then I began to hear more and more people come into my office and say, I love my partner. I'm having an affair. You know, in the same way that when I wrote Mating in Captivity, people would say, I love my partner. I, we have no sex. And I was like, you know, I thought if you love, you desire. And now I thought if you love, you're faithful. So this idea that not all affairs are symptoms of relationships gone awry, that people in happy relationships also stray, and it isn't because of their partner or because of something in the relationship. That there's another theme here, that affairs, and this led me to the second thing, mm. which is that you always have to look at infidelity from a dual perspective. At the heart of affairs is betrayal and hurt, but there is also longing. Longing for an emotional connection, longing for intensity, longing for a different sexuality, longing to reconnect with lost parts of ourselves, longing to suddenly feel alive because people have allowed themselves to feel dead on the inside. That, what it did to you and what it meant to me, that you have to be able to figure out both mm. is a much more useful way to help people. Yeah. How do we, you know, all those things you're talking about, longing for a desire of someone else or a different experience or something from the past or all those things you're talking about how do we get those things in our partner if we're feeling those things that they're missing even if we love our partner yeah or not you know someone comes to you and is like i love my partner yeah. but i feel like i'm missing these other things yeah. how do we not miss those things or create those in our relationships huh. do you know how many times i say to people <laughs> tell me something the person that is here in this other relationship. Is that the one who comes home? I mean, the one that you partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, uh -huh. is dealing with is not nearly as charming and as attentive. You know, when you prepare your suitcase and you fly and you choose your carefully chosen clothes and you prepare yourself and, and you know, you don't bring work with you when you go to, you know, but when you go home, you're on your phone the whole time. Mm -hmm. You bring the leftovers. You're not nearly that attentive. You're way less charming. Your humor is gone, you know. And and then you tell me that your your, your wife is boring or your husband is boring. And you, who are you here versus who are you there? Mm -hmm. Not who are they. Who are you? So that's the first thing. It's like what happened to you? that you let this thing seep out of you? And what makes it difficult for you to bring this back into your own relationship? Mm. Why, why is why, it? Why is that? Why people neglect themselves in mm. some way, right? Yeah. 
Why is it that there you can be such a free woman? And here is this boyfriend of yours who think you hate sex, you have no interest, you are utterly, you know, frozen. And this one is like, it's the same woman. What happened? You know, and on top of, that's the bigger lie. The bigger lie is not only that you're having a lover. The bigger lie is that your husband, your boyfriend has no idea what's the truth about you. Mm-hmm. Why? And then different stories. Sometimes it's stories from childhood. You know, I have no idea how to bring that part of me in the context of family because family was the place where sexuality was the most dangerous. So I have never known how to experience pleasure at home. Home was a place where I made sure to be safe. Pleasure I took somewhere else. Then you start to see the way that people have carved out and compartmentalized themselves and the reasons behind it. Now is real therapy work. That's a difference. Yeah. You know, that's when you start to really try to understand why, why, why can't you integrate the different parts of you? Mm. Is it kind of like the idea of always dating in your relationship? It's like always trying to be your charming self and not forgetting it. How you got into the relationship, don't like forget that. Is that kind of the, uh, the concept? I, I don't know if it's always dating, but for, but for sure, the couples that are erotic couples are couples who maintain a level of attention on each other. They they don't take each other for granted. Yeah. They flirt. They are physical. They continue to play with each other. They create the they, de- they, desire. They create desire. I mean, you, you, it doesn't just stay. I mean, it is an amazing thing to see how attentive people are to their creative projects, to their artwork, to their businesses, to the, and how often, rather neglectful, even a date night, it's nice, but what... Do you bring to the date night? I mean, it's just do you, going through the motions or is it creative? Do you do yeah. something, you know, look, we know that if you do familiar activities with your partner, it's very nice and it creates a real sense of comfort to go back and to repeat things that you enjoy. But we know that if you want to bring excitement into a relationship, you need new experiences. You need to have this relationship be one in which you take yourself out of your comfort zone, in which you discover something, in which you explore traveling. But it doesn't have to be just traveling by going abroad. It's traveling. It's taking yourself to new places, to new experiences with each other, to new thresholds. All the research backs that up. Mm. It also breeds testosterone, for that matter. Novelty really? breeds testosterone. Mm. That's the work of Helen Fisher. And if you look at it metaphorically or biologically, it makes all sense in the world. Growth involves exploration, involves curiosity, involves discovery. We know it and it involves risk-taking. We know it in business and it is no different in the relationship, in the business of intimacy, if you want to call Mm. it like that. Mm. Do you do any of these things? Of course, yeah. (laughs) We do it, yeah, for sure. And if we're not, my girlfriend always reminds me, like, let's go try something new. You know, if it's been like a week or two where we've kind of been doing the same thing, just like going to the movie or to the same place to eat, she's like, let's go try something new. And I'm like, yeah, we need to. So she's actually good at that because sometimes I can just be focused on mm-hmm. my vision and my work and just like not stop. And it's comfortable to just do the same thing and not have to think about creating right. something new. So, but I could see a difference in that creativity and that uniqueness when we go do something different as opposed to the same thing, I can feel the desire mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. curiosity. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Here you are. 
BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Testosterone. And then you say, thank yeah. you. I mean, yeah. the difference, one person says, it's so nice. I mean, I wouldn't have thought about it. Right. I love it when you take me. You remind me. And then I don't mind doing it if I feel appreciated for it. Right. Because then, okay, it became my role. For some reason, I have more availability in my headspace to think about those things. And as long as I know that you really appreciate it, that you value this, that you're coming along, not just to do me a favor. Right. Then I'll come up with more and more ideas and I will keep this going for years, for years, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. we study erotic couples. I mean, there is, it's, it's not an unknown. We know that there are people who maintain a certain spark and it has nothing to do with how often they make love, but they are engaged with each other. They enjoy each other's company after decades. They still find each other interesting. They're not bored. Mm. What else should we know about this? What else should we know about I this? I wanted to say one other yes. thing that I had discovered that to me was really important because it is not getting enough uh, attention, attention yeah. these days. Everything these days is about you make it or you break it. You end. It's not good, you leave. You can do better, you leave. You're not happy or you could be happier, you leave. And I think that the people who actually want to stay after an infidelity in their relationship are often judged and looked down upon what's wrong with you. You let him walk all over you. You let her boss you around, you know. Um, yeah, that's scary too. It's kind of like your friends are constantly pressuring you uh, can do better. You don't even tell them. Mm, yeah. I, the majority of people I meet won't tell their friends. So feel guilty or they feel they like feel weak or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you dump the dog on the curb. Right. You know. Forget everything that happened. That's right. But five years of the relationship just... That's right. Three, five, or 25. Right. Out. And I think sometimes out is what needs to happen. But sometimes this happens in a good relationship. And it happened. And, it, and, and we need to know what to do when it happens. But just to judge people and shame them for staying isn't fair. That's not good. It's not right. I don't. I, and I think it really is not giving relationships the credit they deserve. Because mm, they're not perfect. Yeah. Because they're not perfect. And you know what? Sometimes what comes afterwards is going to be even better than what was before. Mm, it's the wake-up call. It's, it's the, the wake-up call. Like when you have an illness, it gives you a new perspective on life. Do I recommend you to get sick? No. <laughs> but do I accept that sometimes out of that crisis, you will actually reprioritize your life and live with a different level of honesty and authenticity? The same happens in a relationship. You've seen this with couples you've worked with? and Again and again. Really? Again and again. But you have to believe in the strength of people mm -hmm. to actually take this, learn from it, resuscitate, and revitalize. Yeah. In this section, Esther talks about the key to building a long-term successful relationship. Should we expect moving forward in relationships with our time uh, that monogamy is something that we're going to be able to do? Or with the, there's always something better option and that it's more available now than ever, especially with social media 
online dating. There's a distractions constantly. Uh, yeah, you don't have to leave your house anymore. Exactly. You yeah. can pretty much cheat on your partner while lying next to them in bed. Exactly. But we are by definition already doing serial non-monogamy. You know, most of us don't come to marriage monogamous. We've come to marriage after years of nomadism, sexual nomadism. Mm -hmm. So monogamy is a concept that has already been redefined throughout. You asked me before about how has marriage changed. But monogamy had nothing to do with love for most of history. Monogamy became about love with romanticism. Mm. It's the sacred ideal of the romantic ideal because the sacred cow, because monogamy means I'm everything. I'm it. I'm the one. I'm chosen. Mm -hmm. I'm unique. And if you are interested in someone else, it means I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. Versus monogamy, which was basically for patrimony and for children. Mm. You know, so. So, how should we navigate this moving forward? I think this that, concept of monogamy. look, if I had talked to you 70 years ago about premarital sex and virginity was a precondition, you would have looked at me like, this is a taboo, this is a impossible. Today, premarital sex in the West, it's like nobody blinks an eye. Mm -hmm. Okay, It would have been inconceivable. Okay, If I had talked to you about going to from families of eight tail children to families of one child, you would have looked at me inconceivable. Mm -hmm. If I had told you that we were going to be conceiving so many children through assisted reproduction, inconceivable. So today when you say open relationships or non-monogamous relationships or periodically non-monogamous or monogamous, shall I dance savage, <laughs> or, you know, or polyamorous, people will say, can't work, impossible, you know. The fact is monogamy is the new frontier. But you can have it as negotiated through divorce or mm. through what most people have always done, which is proclaimed monogamy and clandestine adultery. Or you can do it through a model of transparency in which people have consensual non-monogamy. This is it. Mm. This is the options. Right. What do you think is going to be working the most There's going to be a little bit of everything. Mm. There are some people who really need stable, committed monogamous relationships they don't want open doors mm -hmm. and there are other people for which open doors probably should be the model from the start that's kind of who they are that's their curiosity that's the way they live their life and it's not because they're less committed or less loving it's because their sexuality is organized in a certain way and it lives together with a certain arrangement and all of that is going to be redefined mm. as we go along um, it's de facto what's going to happen. It yeah. will be the next frontier. But if you see it on the level of marriage, people say, you know, if you say, okay, let's look on the, you know, you have to look at it from the place of before marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, a Swedish philosopher said, today, monogamy only exists in reality. It doesn't exist in your memories and it doesn't exist in your fantasies. Mm. So... This is not because I advocate it. It's just, there's a, first of all, there's nothing to advocate. It's very simple that by definition, we have multiple sex partners mm -hmm. before marriage. We are not monogamous anymore in the traditional sense of the word. The word has been in flux and we don't really know where it's going. Mm. We don't. What we know is that people still seek to connect. People want to love. People want somebody who loves them. And how that will play itself out is the mysteries of life. But the fundamental human need for love, for connection, for passion, for transcendence will never change. The expressions, 
the forms, the institutions in which we will seek those fundamental human aspirations will continuously transform. That's really mm. how I see the the evolution taking sure, place. Sure. What do you think of what I'm saying? Oh man, it's just so con- you know, it's confusing because you hear so many different options that work, that don't work. You see people that love each other that go through breakup and divorce, and then you see the pain and the struggle and the emotional toll that it takes on some people. Then you see people who are in you know committed monogamous relationships who feel guilty because they want to be able to explore, but they they can't because they've made this choice Mm -hmm. and they've committed to it. Monogamy is a practice. Mm -hmm. We are not by nature, biologically, evolutionary monogamous. It's a practice. It's a choice. And it's a choice. Not our makeup. No. And it's a choice. and And monogamy is a continuum. You have mind, you have fantasy, you have memory, you have a lot of things. At what point do we become Mm. non-monogamous? Where does non-monogamy start? And all of these concepts are fluid concepts today. There is just no way to define it like that. So we make choices and we make compromises and we sometimes don't just do what we want. And we often need to think about the consequences of our actions. Mm -hmm. And we need to think about the larger picture and something that may be perfectly desirable for tonight may not be worth it for the next weeks and the next years. Yeah, exactly. And I think that in the era of self-fulfillment and the right to happiness, we don't have more desires today than the previous generations. We just feel more entitled to fulfill our desires. And we feel that we have a right to be happy. My personal happiness. The switch, the greatest switch, is from a a, a social organization in which I think about the well-being of others. Collectivist thinking thinks about the well-being of others and I sacrifice my own individual needs for the well-being of others. To the other side of the continuum is I have a right to pursue my individual Mm. needs and the others will have to adapt to it. And I think that we are a little bit on the extreme end of the other side at this point. Mm. We really take ourselves a little very seriously. (laughs) And sometimes at the detriment of other people to whom we do have an obligation and a commitment to. Not just our partners. The world. uh, The world. So where should we be? Somewhere in the middle, you think? Or what's... In an examined state. I don't know that it's always in the middle, but in an examined state. In a state that doesn't just say what I like, what I feel. The fact that I have Mm -hmm. options doesn't mean I have to exercise all these options. The problem of consumer life is that we don't know anymore to make choices. Same with the cereals in the supermarket. Why would it be better with love? So I could get better. I could get better. I'm like, you know, I'm a victim of FOMO. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, how do I know this is the best? No, you don't. Yeah. When do I find the best? No, you don't. You don't find your partner. You choose your partner. It's very different. You know, if you think you're going to find somebody who is the person who's going to make you stop looking, it doesn't work this way. Because really? No, it doesn't. Because at some point, your inner rumblings will start up again and then you will say, oh, probably you Start looking. Not. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, it's like you just say, this is it. This is where I decide to put my roots in mm. this moment, you know, and I'm going to try to deepen them. I think we are all living with paradoxes of choice. Yes. You know, from, uh, from which phone I get, but we cannot commodify a partner and just kind of beta test the partner and beta test the relationship and check out to see is it good enough or can I find better? El- 
you, yes, you can. The fact is, you could find other. I'm not sure it would be better, but you definitely can find other. Yeah. And there are lots of people you can love, and there's only a few you can make a life with. And they're not always the same. There are a lot of people you can have love stories with. <laughs> right. But they're not the person you would make a life How with. How do you know when it's the person you can make a life with? I think values enter into there a lot more. I mean, you mm -hmm. can have magnificent love stories with people you would never live with. Right. They're just too different from you. They have not the same values as you. One wants child, one does not. One wants to travel, the other does not. One wants career, the other does not. Mm. Very major, different classes, different Weltanschauung, as they used to say in German, you know, visions of the world. Mm, but yes. you can love them. Yes. You can have a beautiful love story with that person and be transported in your experience with them. But you know that that's not the person with whom you're going to build mm. a home, a future, a, a trajectory, maybe a family if you want that. Um, that that's not the person with whom... And for that, you need more of... Shared vision, shared mm -hmm. mission, shared values, stuff that is not just in the domain of feelings, but also in the domain of beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, it's different. Wow. Views about money, views about independence and separateness versus connection, views about um, ex emotional expressiveness, views about power. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say that those differences that we have also attract us to other people? That we have some of those differences. Maybe we don't share the same values or beliefs, but it's also different, unique, interesting. And so it also brings us together? Or do you think it's not enough? I think that what attracts you originally is often what becomes the source of conflict later. Mm. The very thing that is so attractive because it's different is also the very thing that becomes difficult because it's different. Interesting. So, of course, it's a mix and match, you know. Yeah. But what makes thriving relationships is not only feelings. It's a mix of feelings, actions, beliefs, touches, physicality. Right. It's a, a more all-encompassing thing. Sure. A beautiful love story can be just about feelings. Mm -hmm. so, and you can l love more people than those that you can make a life with. That doesn't mean you make a life with people you don't love, but it means that there is a whole other set of ingredients right. that enter into the making of a life, which is the creation of a world. It's a little different. Mm -hmm. And in that world, you often can be on the side of, you know, there's a lot of sentences today that I never heard 20 years ago in couples therapy. This is a raw deal. I'm not getting my needs met. Where is my return on investment? Wow. Excuse me, somebody owes you? It's mm. like, wow. It's, I am in a relationship for what it's going to give me. That is an important piece. Huh? Don't misunderstand me. But I'm also in a relationship for what I'm going to give to this person. Right. For what I'm going to give if I want children, to these children. Not just for what they're going to bring to me. It's like the level of narcissism has to be shrunken a tiny bit on occasion. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I mean, I'm part of that same, you know, landscape. But on occasion, sure. I think it's like you calibrate it. On occasion, some, some of us need to really learn to think more about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And some of us really need to think more about others. Right. Some of us live with the fear that we're going to be abandoned. And some of us live more with the fear that we're going to lose ourselves. 
Some of us mm-hmm. are better takers and need to learn to give. And some of us are consummate givers and we need to learn to take. And often we find a partner who is exactly the missing link. And that can be beautiful complementarity if we actually get to use the other person to become more whole mm-hmm. and to learn from them. And we need both. You need to be able to think about yourself mm-hmm. and to know what you want and all of that. But you also need to be able to remember that others exist near you, right. your family, your friends, your, you know, your, be- your loved ones. Sure. And that that's what will make the difference the day you die and who will show up at your funeral. Here, Esther shares how to build trust in a relationship. And this is so crucial for everyone. How does someone regain trust then? Because we were talking about this earlier. How do you regain trust and regain open communication if someone's been unfaithful or just hurting them for a couple of years in a relationship and you feel like it's not working? You know, it's interesting because you're asking me this. And yet you, as an amazing role model, have spoken about some of your own experiences of abuse. Mm-hmm. So you know this question. How do you let someone touch you, come near you? not feel like they're going to harm you. The understand the difference between caring touch and hurtful touch. Mm-hmm. Allowing yourself to experience pleasure again. Allowing yourself to surrender without thinking that while you're not on guard, nothing bad is going to happen. really challenging. Right. Okay. But it's that same trajectory, right? right? It's right. like you hope that it's not because one person hurt you that you lose your faith in humanity. You hope that you know that there are people who are not harmful, that mm-hmm. they really are good people that care and love. You probably trust with your eyes more open. It doesn't have the same naivety. Mm-hmm. And it depends. If you're asking me, how do I trust you again after you have cheated on me? Or uh, how do I trust Other another people, people yeah. again? I think it's two different stories. What about the person you're in a relationship with? It depends as well. Because you got, we, it's hard to let go of stuff in the past, right? So it depends how long is the past. If you and I have been together for two years and this just happened, it's a different story than if you and I have been together for the past 20 years and we have a family and we have built a life and we have buried parents and Mm -hmm. we have birthed children and we have built homes and we have created jobs and we have a whole life together. And in the midst of this, this experience happened. And you, my woman or my partner, male or female partner, went out. And then you kind of want to know, how did this happen? What, what, what happened to us? Where were we at? You know, is this related to the relationship? I think the big distinction for me is to figure out what betrayals take place because the relationship had disintegrated in some way or degraded and which ones have nothing to do with the relationship. People who have been sick, mm-hmm. people who are unemployed, people who have lost their sense of confidence, or people who have made a lot of money suddenly, the other way around. People who suddenly feel like they deserve something. Because in a way, when you allow yourself this experience, it's because you feel you deserve it. You justify it to yourself. You come up with good explanations for why you, of all people, can do this. I need to understand what you were thinking about me while this was going on. Did you even think about me? Did you think what this would do to me? or to our kids, if we have kids. Did you feel guilty about it? Were you tortured in any way, or did you did I disappear from your screen and you were so grandiose that I didn't exist anymore? Did you want me to find out? Are you relieved that it's come out? Do you actually want to come back 
And are you coming back just because it's convenient to you or are you choosing me again? I think the most important feature in the trust is not only that you won't do it again, but that you really are choosing mm -hmm. to be with me again and that you're not just here because it suits you or because I make the money or because we have it's a family, because yeah. it's comfortable. Yeah. I, what I really want to trust is that you love me and you want to be with me and mm -hmm. not that you're here while you're thinking about the person there. Yeah. And that goes hand in hand with something else. I think that's probably the most important thing about hurt and the breach of Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers trust is I come to you and I say to you I'm really sorry that we know from any trauma that it's the wrongdoer coming to acknowledge what they've done if the perpetrator doesn't isn't able to acknowledge it and I'm not calling these perpetrators but we know in the mm -hmm. experience that when you hurt someone nothing helps you more than the person who hurt you to say to you I have remorse and I feel guilty for hurting you even if they don't feel guilt about the experience of the affair itself. Maybe mm. you think that the affair was one of the greatest things that you have experienced in a Fantasies long time. Fantasies or whatever, yeah. You've, or you've been a mother and a wife for the last seven years and you haven't had a minute to think about yourself and you felt like you had completely died inside and for the first time you reconnect with your own sensuality and your aliveness and you remember that you're more than just a mother and just a, a wife, for example. So you may think this was really important to me, but nevertheless... What it meant to you and what it does to your partner are two different things. Right. So my acknowledging that remorse and that guilt is essential. It's the first step. First step. Yeah. And that is very different from feeling shame. Because when I feel shame and I feel so bad about myself, I can't believe I did this. There's more self-involvement. Right. It's more about it's like, me. Make it about me so you can say it's okay or whatever. Yeah. Yes. I feel so bad about myself that I can't feel bad for what I did to you. <laughs> Right. right. So I have no empathy. I still have none in the empathy. Yes. It's like you need to be able to feel bad for making the other person feel bad. Right. And that means that you can't be so bad about you because then it's all about you. Big difference between shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Guilt is a relational responsibility. Guilt is, a, is an accountability to the other. That's the first one. And the second thing is that I then become the vigilante of the relationship, meaning that I, for a while, while you are asking me the same questions again and again because you're trying to figure this out because your whole reality has just been shattered, I am able to tell you, it's okay. I am here. Just keep asking. Mm. I'll answer you. I'm not going to say, come on, enough already. Haven't right, we gone over on. this? Let's yeah. move on. Let's move on. It's over. Don't you see? It's over. No, I cannot rush you. I have to give you the space to make sense, 
to be in your pain, to hurt, to get angry, to push me, to pull me, until we slowly settle. And there is a period like that of that acute crisis that you just can't push. You have to go through it mm -hmm. because it is in the nature of the beast. It's a process. It's yeah. a process. No one's going to rationalize it right away and move on. It might take some time. Some it people, can't. Some people, it takes years probably that you've been working with where it takes years for them to fully trust again, right? But you know, even when you say fully trust, trust for what? Like mm. I, I saw this couple recently, last week actually, and you know, I said, you still leave your children with him. You have your money together. You share a home together. Um, while your mother was in the hospital in the last year, he continued to come see her every week. He still is paying for your alcoholic brother. You trust him for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's not one big categorical. You don't trust that he really has finished his story with this woman because you actually know that he fell in love with this woman. And you, you're right not to trust him. Mm. You are right because he doesn't trust himself yet. He's going to take some time to come back. And this is a very ambiguous period for the two of you mm. where it's very, very shaky because you want him back, but you know he's not fully back and he wants to come back, but he knows he's not fully there. But you trust him for many other things. Right. And you need to remember that too. And it'll take a few months. It'll take a few months because he has made a decision. He wants to come back. He believes in what you've built together. But yes, for a moment, he was ready to go. Wow. And I, my work is I hold this, I offer structure, calmness, reassurance, and I basically try to not make anybody make rash decisions because when your limbic system is hijacked, you better not make a decision about mm -hmm. your life. You should be emotional. and it's... No, you're just in reptile mode. Yeah. In your sessions, what, what do you find is the, uh, the root of most divorces or breakups or separations? Is it infidelity or is it something else? Infidelity is high up there, but is it the consequence or is it the cause? Mm. That's the question you want to ask. Is it, you know, in some relationships, affairs are the death knell for a relationship that was it's already over. dying on the vine, yeah, yeah. but it was already dead. This was just the way out. And in other relationships, the affair actually is an alarm system that jolts people out of a state of complacency where for the, for the first time in a long time, they realize, oh my God. I better pay attention. I have so much to lose here. Wow. So it can make it and it can break it. I think the biggest killer for relationships in general, doesn't matter if they're short-term or long-term, is contempt. You can have volatile relationships, but people scream, fight, but they make up and they know that fundamentally they care deeply about each other. Contempt is a form of dehumanization. That's the research of one of the big researchers on relationships, John Gottman. Really? The four horses of apocalypse, he calls them. One is criticism. Four horses of what? Apocalypse. Apocalypse, got it. Criticism. Criticism is, I can't just say, I want you to do this. It's like, you know, you, you, you had to let this sit here again. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you, you're doing this on purpose, right? I've had to tell you five times, I don't want that iPad on the table here. You know, what mm. kind of a thing is this? You know, mm. this is just in spite. Can't you just ask for something rather right. than make <laughs> a judgment on the entire person? Because... Criticism is a veiled wish. Behind the criticism, there's actually something I want from you. But I have a way of asking it in such a way that guarantees I'm never going to get it. Right. It's passive-aggressive energy. Yeah, yeah. You can leave the passive out of it. It's aggressive. <laughs> direct. It's, true, yeah, yeah. it's aggressive direct. I'm like at you. I'm picking. I'm, I'm going after you. 
So, because it's less vulnerable than to put myself out there with a request and say, you know, it would mean a lot to me when I ask you this, that you would do this. Mm. And it, and sometimes I've already asked it to you like that twice or three times, and I begin to get more and more upset. But at the time people come to me, they've often asked very nicely for years before. I don't get to see that because mm-hmm. usually people come to the therapist late in the game. Mm-hmm. Defensiveness, defensiveness, right? It's like mm-hmm. every time I say something to you, you can't just say, that makes sense or tell me more or... Let me try to understand this. So, yes, I'm really sorry. Yes, that is a bad habit of mine. No, right. I constantly defend and counterattack and put it back on you. And so defensiveness, criticism, stonewalling, stonewalling, silent treatment. I talk to you, you look up, you know, you're somewhere else. I can't get a response. You withdraw, you withhold, all of that. And contempt is that gaze. You can, with one facial expression, literally reduce somebody to nothing. Wow. And I think that one is probably the end of the rope. Those are the four killers of relationships. Those are the four killers. But what people think they divorced for is that they couldn't communicate. But why they didn't communicate is because they were doing one of these four things. Mm. Or they had arguments about money, or they didn't agree around the children, or they had no sex, or they had terrible sex. Or, you know, they think it's a, there's a reason, there's a topic. But in fact, the topic is less important than the way they were dealing with the topic. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You have sure. two kinds of couples. Those who are at each other like this in the negative space. They are high conflict or they are avoidant. Too much avoidance, that's it. That's like everybody's gone off somewhere. And too much conflict is escalation upon escalation. On these two axes sits the death of a couple. So how, what's the perfect... Relationship, a little bit of each other, a little bit this, of boring. Yes, ah. this. I mean, this conflict, you resolve it, you, you move again, you get close again. You, you know, it's a dynamic thing. Estrangement is like, you know, I don't even know who's living here. Was the last mm. time you had a conversation about something? Was the last time you touched each other? When's the last time you looked into each other's eyes? You know, when's the last time you talked about something else and what needs to be planned for tomorrow? Right. It's not always negative. It's just the affection leaves. The warmth, the love, the, the aliveness, the vibrancy, it seeps out. And in our final section on this Relationship Masterclass, Esther shares the expectations we should be setting in our relationships and how to communicate that in a healthy, proper way. I'm going to ask you a question that may be hard to answer. Maybe it's easy. <laughs> but you've had, you've seen a lot of intimate relationships work and fail mm-hmm. over 35 plus years, right? Yeah. What's the percentage of people in your mind who are in intimate long-term relationships, marriages or not married, but together, are actually happy most of the time? Thriving, beautiful, I'm sure there's challenges, but like they're able to work through them with semi-ease. How many relationships in your mind are super happy and thriving after decades of the changes of the times, Society, work, family, all, all the dynamics that happen in life. So I have two ways of answering yes. it. The first one is cultural. Mm-hmm. Your definition of happy and thriving and fulfilled is probably very different than many other cultures sure. where being healthy, <laughs> right. having enough to eat, yeah. having children, having, having grandchildren, yeah. having good jobs, being respected in the community, 
is happy and thriving. Is happy and thriving. Mm -hmm. It's not about you and I are talking on the couch and I'm pouring my heart at yeah, you yeah. and you are telling me I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you in mm -hmm. your life and all of that. Okay, so that's we, one version. That's yeah. one version okay. is you have got to look at the word happiness and thriving really in a cross-cultural okay, context. Like because a lot of us, by the way, who have the new definition, have parents who think about marriage and what is a happy marriage with the, with the other definition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, that maybe we are so unhappy because we want so many other things that are maybe not part of marriage. Mm. We have such high expectations. We have super high expectations. I want, we want everything. We want a partner to be an entire community. My best friend, my trusted confidant, my passionate lover, my intellectual equal, my co-parent. And on top of it, I want with you to deal with all the vicissitudes of the everyday life and all of all what we need to get to, all of that. And then we should also be passionate, great lovers, fantastic Travel travelers, world, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, and very few Go of dancing us. dancing every week, right? yeah. So Eli Finkel has a best answer for you on that. Okay. He's a researcher on marriage. And basically what he says is that the good relationships of today are better than the relationships of history, mm. but they're very few. Because the good, what you call that happiness is the top of the Olympus. Mm -hmm. It's climbing the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, the view is fantastic, but the air is also thinner. And not everybody can climb the mountain. Mm. The people who get to the top, their top is probably better than the tops of the past. Wow. And now what is the top? It used to be that marriage was for survival. Then it became a romantic enterprise. And it became what I call the service economy, from the production economy to the service economy. You want children, but no longer just eight, so you only want two, so sexuality becomes for pleasure and connection, so it becomes a service economy. Mm. It's no longer a production. Right. And then from there you go into identity, which is what? I want to become the best version of myself, and you're gonna help me do so. That's the identity story sure. of marriage. And that goes up the Maslow ladder. Now, if I ask the question differently, I, wrote, I actually wanted to write that very article. Mm. About 10, 15 years ago, I set out to write a piece, what are creative couples? And do you know, because creative was the word I was interested mm. in, not so much happy, passionate, sure. but creative. Meaning, not stable, not solid, but what is this thing, creativity? the spark. And I went and I asked almost a hundred people, do you know couples that inspire you? Do you know couples that you think have that spark still? And the frightening thing was that the majority of people could sometimes come up with one, maybe two, and that was it. Wow. You know, they knew people who were very good at renovations and people who were great parents together and people who were great business partners together, but that hole that you talk about yeah. there were very few and i thought that is so sad because here we are we want something i mean if i say good business partners or business leaders you would give me 10 people who you mm -hmm. think inspire you to run mm -hmm. a company or, or authors or musicians or we all have a long list like who can say what's your favorite musician i mean most of us have more than one mm -hmm. when it comes to intimate relationships people have very few models now, maybe it is because what they want is so high that there is very few models, actually. And that's probably the challenge of intimate relationships wow. today. How do, we find, how do we create that in an intimate partner? Or is it setting a lower expectation for what we want? 
so that we don't... It's both. I think sometimes if you lower your expectations, you're much better off, no doubt. Wow. Calibra- so back to Eli Finkel's research, calibrating expectations is probably one of the most, the three main things wow. for su- what he calls successful relationships. Wow. And calibrating doesn't mean you lower your expectations necessarily, but you also diversify them. You mm-hmm. don't ask one person to give you what a whole village should actually give you. Right. So one is the calibration of the expectation, two is the diversification, and three, which is the one that very much speaks to me, is doing new things. Mm. That with when, your partner? With your partner. That if you do the things that you enjoy, that's really nice, that's comfortable, that's cozy, that solidifies the friendship. But if you want to create intensity, mm. it demands risk-taking, doing new things outside of your comfort zone, a little bit more on the edge. How often should we be doing new things with our intimate partner? I think as often, I mean, look, the answer to this is very simple. Often enough, but not too often that you become chaotic and you dysregulate, Mm -hmm. right? Now you're asking me a systemic question. This is true for an individual, a relationship, or a company. If you don't change or grow, you fossilize and you die. Mm. If you change too much, too fast. No stability. There's no stability, you go chaotic and you dysregulate. So how often it depends on where you are at in your life. Are you the two of you? Do you have kids? Do you have little Mm -hmm. ones? Do you have aging parents? Are you taking care of somebody? What else is going on here? We'll tell you if this is a period where you need more stability or if this is a period where it's time to go and be curious and explore and discover and go into the world and launch. Right. If you're a young 30-something female, I get this all the time from a lot of women who reach out to me who are ending relationships that were really stressful for them or they've been single for years and they're trying to figure out how do they find the right person or how do they create the right relationship for them that's going to be a a long-term partner. If you're a female in your young 30s, what should they be thinking about? Like, should they be focusing first on themselves, growing themselves, or what are the things they should be looking for in the right partner? I just wrote my current blog which is a little bit of a critique of this taking care of yourself first. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> because you, you learn to love yourself in the context of your relationships with others. Mm. You know, this idea that you go first to work on yourself here and then you prepare this little nice little package and you bring it to relationships, that's, that is completely off actually. Wow. It's interactive. You need a good amount of self-awareness, but you also need to be in relationships because it's people who help you become more aware. Practicing it. Practicing it, but other people let you see who you are. It's by being with others that you get to know who you are, not just by sitting there alone and say, who am I, who am I? Right. But this is a relational perspective on life, and I will stand by that. Read the newsletter. I I really poured myself into that one (laughs) because I'm tired a little bit of this. No, what I will say to you, I'm tired of the go fix yourself first first, and then go be in a relationship relationships help you to become who you are Mm. that's what happens between children and their caregivers the next thing is instead of constantly thinking who's the right person i'm going to find why don't you ask yourself who do you want to be who should the other one be no maybe it's on occasion ask who will i be as a partner Mm. who have i been till now in my relationships how have i shown up what is it that i do not just finding the right person. Mm -hmm. Now, what does it mean to find the right person? And there I will say, the simplest way of looking at it is this. There are many people you will love and they are not necessarily the same people that you will make a life with. 
Are you looking for a love story or are you looking for a life story? Ooh, that's good. You understand? Yeah. There are many people have had love stories. It's a whole different story. I never thought for a minute I would live with these people. Take something else to have a partner in life with whom you're going to go through the pains, yeah. the sufferings, the challenges, the, all of that. So Can you have a life partner and still have a love story? Of course. Of course. You want the life partner to be a love story too. Mm. But the love stories per se are not life stories. Mm -hmm. It's different ingredients. It's different values. You, there's some things that you don't need in order to have a beautiful love story with someone. It, it, it lives in its encapsulated version on its own. You're not thinking, can I do this with you? Can I get old with you? Can I take you to my parents? It's about values life, not just about feelings. Mm. So when you're looking for the right person, it's not just what attracts you. Mm -hmm. It's values. who can you build a life with? How many values in common do you need to have with your partner, life partner? The important ones. It's not how many, but there are a few of them that are really, that are really like important. Which, which ones? That I'll make give, or break based on your experience? I'm not going to say them in order of importance, mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. one of them that really matters is your relationship to others. If you are a person that values relationships, that sees the presence of others in your life as central, and you are with somebody who does not want community or mm. does not know how. I mean, I'm talking not about what they would like to learn through you, but their value is you do things alone, you live alone, mm. you rely on yourself. You, you know, you don't bring people over to the house. I have a couple I just spoke with yesterday, you know, and he loves to have people over and she just nobody should come ever to the house. She wants her space, her space alone, the whole yeah. thing. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a tough one. It's not just about the how, it's his whole life is about being with people. And her whole life is about not being with people necessarily. Mm. That's not how she experiences them. Now the question is, is she drawn to more of what he has to offer? And is he drawn to more of what she, if these they are totally, more, yeah. then, then, okay, it's different values come together and they mix and match. Yeah. But if you have these two separations like that, so that's, that's one. Wow. One of the beautiful okay. questions I ask in How Is Work is, um, were you raised for autonomy or were you raised for loyalty? Were you raised for self-reliance or were you raised for interdependence? Mm. Which one would you say? For me, was self-reliance mean what? Nobody will ever help you as well as you can help yourself. You mm. only have yourself to count on. Don't trust people. You're on your own, buddy. Or raised for loyalty. Interdependence, loyalty. The, you're never team. alone. There's mm. people around you. You owe others. Others are there for you. Mm. Relationships is what makes you. I think I was both based on like circumstances. Correct. Like the lessons, circumstances yeah. made you reliable because yeah. you were alone uh -huh. uh, with mom. Yeah. But the messaging was you of have course. me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So I think both. I think mm. that question is a fundamentally wow. interesting question. Okay that people can ask themselves when they partner in business and in love. Raise for self-reliance or loyalty? Yeah, interdependence. Do you see yourself as connected to others and it's your connections that give you a sense of anchoring, meaning, relevance, mm, importance, it, all of that? Or okay. do you see yourself as fundamentally on your own? Um, I gotcha. think travel, curiosity, you often will have a complementarity between one person who is 
curious and eager to discover and goes on, you know, and yeah. then another person. Your question Who about... Who wants to be alone or, or doesn't want to travel, wants to stay Doesn't home. want... To, but it's also likes comfort, likes repetition, mm -hmm. likes the familiar. Mm -hmm. I think the religious values, mm -hmm. if you have a person who, who you know, those, those matter a great deal. Children, mm -hmm. do you want family or do you not want family? If you, you know, if you want a family, then make sure that you find someone who wants a family. What, right. you, what are you going to what are you gonna yeah. do, try to convince some, you know? Now, I don't think you have to have the same values on everything. I think you have to have a similar v outlook on life. Which is? A vision, like exactly mm. the same as when you, a vision. Do you want to own a home? Mm -hmm. Do you think that economic achievement is important? Do you want to live in an extended family? You think that living intergenerationally really is important and you have somebody else who says, you know, I don't want your parents over. Right. Do you want to live in more than one place? Mm. You know, I think these are essential, you know, money, feelings or emotions, religious beliefs, attitude toward life. It's not a specific value about something. It's the, a, a value is a cluster of things. Yeah. It's a cluster of importance, of systems of meanings. That's a value. And, it's, and you may not find someone with everything is the same, but someone with a similar mindset, is what you're saying, an overall I met feeling. a husband of mine, with whom I am for more than three decades, yeah. who had never left the U.S. when I met him. Really? I never knew such a person existed. <laughs> Coming from Europe, that was un, un, unheard he of for us. lived in Europe? No, he lived in the States. Oh, he lived in the States. He was American. Gotcha. I came from Europe. In Europe, you travel everywhere, everywhere yeah. all the time, even if you have nothing. Plus, you work train, one plane. month, you get the money, and then you go to the next country, which is two hours away. Yeah. So he never I, traveled outside of the U.S. He had never been outside of the U.S. Well, he will always tell me he went to the Virgin Islands. Okay. But, you know, <laughs> for the rest, and I thought, oh, my God, how does one, you know, who is such a person? But I knew it was because of the circumstances of his life sure. and that if he could, he would, and mm. he was intensely curious. Mm. If you just said, oh, he's never traveled, then you misinterpret. You don't want to just look at the manifest thing mm. of, you know, you want to say, and behind this, is there someone who would actually like that, who just hasn't had the opportunity and is curious and just says, let's go. So don't get fooled just by what you see. Right. Find out what is the belief behind it, the aspiration, the longing, the interest, and then you get a sense of what is the value. I want to go back to expectation. Do you feel like we should lower or should diversify expectations or what did you say the word was? Calibrate. Calibrate expectations. Or should we be finding someone that can reach that expectation that we want? No, I think it's... You think need, it's just impossible? I think you, you need to calibrate. Calibrate. You, Always calibrate, too. You right? calibrate. You constantly yeah. will be disappointed. Do you know a single relationship where you haven't been disappointed? No. Okay. I mean, disappointment, is which can lead to suffering, yeah. is part of a relationship. The minute you have a relationship, you have an expectation. That expectation means that you want something love, closeness, intimacy, partnership, you know, business mm -hmm. affiliation, you name it, it, creates dependence. The moment you have an attachment, you have dependence. That dependence means that you have power, or I have power. If I expect something from you, I confer power on you. Mm. You have power over me, I have power over you. By definition, there will be moments when that power doesn't go in the direction that I want. 
And I'll be disappointed. I'll be disappointed. Is there a single child that didn't have a disappointment from their parents? No. It doesn't exist. Right. This, this idyllic thing you're talking about, it doesn't <laughs> exist. The next thing is, what do you do with that disappointment? Hey, can I come tell you? I'm really disappointed. You let me down. I thought we were in this together. I trusted you. And you say, I see your point. Or do you say, what the hell are you talking about? You're just inventing this. You're delusional. Mm -hmm. None of the, you know, yeah. and everything in between. Yeah. That's how you do a relationship. It's really based on the repair. It's not based on the... <laughs> it's how we heal the disappointment. Yes. It's how you repair all these breaches, yeah. moment by moment. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you are matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.